So I'm uh, very interested in uh, what I've been hearing since uh, this morning. And for me, it's quite interesting that there's a deep awareness of the implications of what kind of landscapes we have on settlement patterns and land use and other uh, issues related to both understanding the past and managing the future. But until now, uh, there's little been said about actually the landscape. And so I thought I'll tell you a little bit about what we've done within the context of a project that was funded by the EU titled uh, Medscapes. And Medscapes uh, is what I'll talk about now. So basically, the IncoMed program of the European Union funded a project called Medscapes under the leadership of the Launa Foundation in Cyprus. And the idea of this project is to use something called LCA, or Landscape Character Assessment, to both map, visualize, and understand landscapes generally. So we have partners from Cyprus, Greece, Lebanon, and Jordan. Jordan is represented by the German Jordanian University and the Royal Society for the Conservation of Nature, who we're working very closely with on this project. So we're winding down the project. It's ending uh, in December, and actually in December, you're all invited to our closing uh, conference. We'll have a conference on the December the 13th and 14th where we'll sum up the entire project. So you're all welcome to, to join uh, when that happens. So what is LCA? LCA, or Landscape Character as, uh, Assessment, is a process whereby we identify and describe variations in the landscape character. And these variations uh, differ according to landscape. So it's not a cookbook type of recipe where you say, OK, you have topography, or you have relief, or you have uh, uh, land use, or you have uh, vegetative cover. All of these things could be or could not be elements in which a landscape might be characterized. It just depends. It's a site-specific type of assessment whereby uh, you make value judgments, uh, which says, OK, this is really different than the others based on, for example, vegetative cover. You can see it. Maybe the, uh, the relief or the topography are different, maybe the geology is different, maybe the soil is different. So there's actually a different type of characterization that's based on perception. And so uh, that could be argued to be something good and it could be argued to be something bad because clearly people like things that can be measured and defended more than saying, well, this is my perception. But generally speaking, it seems to work out pretty well. So we could talk about topography. We can talk about flora and fauna. 
uh, nature of land use, sights, sounds, touches, smells, cultural associations, history, memory, all of thing, these may or may not be included in our uh, LCA, depending again on how important they are on a specific uh, scale and a specific place. So um, the idea of why, why would we want to do LCA? What's, uh, what's the advantage of doing that? And it turns out that this is a very uh, well-known and extensively used tool in Northern uh, Europe, especially in the United Kingdom. Um, and uh, we know very well that in our part of the world, a lot of our problems in land use management stem from the fact that we don't really look at the landscape very carefully when we do our land use planning. And I think this is the key as to why I wanted to talk about this project here, because clearly when we want to understand landscapes, uh, we can both understand uh, why things have happened in the past within specific areas or specific zones, and also what dangers and what issues need to be considered when we think about uh, future land uses in a specific area. So uh, there's a problem that is actually an opportunity, which is that because of the variation in the types of criteria that are used within LCA, you need experts from many different fields to be able to actually implement it. So again, uh, that's a weakness and a strength because clearly when you have uh, a more a diverse team working on this, the better your results will be. So the LCA is a system whereby you have uh, enough structure to actually say, okay, we are using this system and we have a specific type of designation for a specific landscape. Uh, and at the same time, it's flexible enough to actually uh, be useful in all kinds of different types of uh, situations. So we have the rigor and we have the flexibility uh, both uh, embedded in this uh, approach. And so um, where th the idea is, okay, it works very well in the UK and in Northern Europe. Why can't it work in the Eastern Mediterranean? Let's try it out. And so that's what we did. So this is basically an outline of what we are doing within the projects. It's eight work packages. What we're interested in now is uh, actually... Uh, uh, work package five, which is training and implementation, teaching people how to use LCA and uh, uh, trying it out in different uh, situations. But uh, as you can see, it's, uh, it's much broader than that, and the idea of the project is not simply to use LCA, but to teach people how to use it and to kind of... Uh, uh, spread the word around that, okay, you know, this is a very important tool and it could be useful uh, in a 
different types of situations. So um, the idea is to understand what is LCA, what its uses are, and understand and transfer the knowledge needed to people who might find it useful, stakeholders, land use planners, students, and integrate it into everyday working uh, life. So. so this looks familiar, I'm sure, to many of you. It's the Yermok River. And I put this picture up because when we think about LCA, uh, you can clearly see that it's a descriptive type of approach. And for somebody who kind of understands landscapes, it's not very satisfying in the sense that when you talk about a landscape and you describe it and you say you have rolling hills or river valleys or uplands or plateaus, uh, these really, again, describe things, but they don't tell you how they happen or how they're associated with each other. So when I look at this picture specifically, I can see ancient floodplains, I can see terraces, I can see down-cutting meanders, I can see different types of land uses from agriculture to uh, uh, two types of agriculture actually, dry land ag agriculture and uh, irrigated agriculture. And so looking at it, you see a multitude of different things that a geologist or a, a soil scientist or a geographer would instantly pick up as being something that's uh, interesting as a result of a process. And so for many people, you intuitively understand that, but we have to recognize also for many people you don't int intuitively understand that. So this is where this becomes very important. It's for people who might be interested in the landscape in the sense that they want to know more about it, they want to know how to plan correctly, how to understand um, cultural dynamics, for example, but they're not geologists or physical scientists who have been trained in this, so it, it's... Uh, it's potentially a tool to actually make people aware of these variations and maybe even to explain why these variations uh, do exist. So under uh, work package five of the Medscapes project, we did two areas. Actually, the RSCN did Wadil Mujib and uh, the German Jordanian University did the Yermuk River Basin. And so uh, this is uh, the result of uh, the work of GJU. And so uh, the Yermuk River Basin turns out to be a very interesting geographic zone, uh, which has lots of variety. And so we have lots of LDUs, or uh, landscape descri descriptive units. And so even within a relatively small area geographically, uh, we have a lot of variation, and the variation, as we'll see in a few minutes, actually 
uh, ultimately is an interaction between a lot of climatic and geologic and cultural uh, factors. So, and also uh, it turns out that because of urbanization and modernization and more recently uh, forced displacement of a lot of people, the area is actually threatened. And so uh, when you think about planning for the Yermuk River Basin, you understand the pressures and you understand how people are dealing with this uh, landscape or let's say or, um, geographic unit called the Yermuk River Basin, but you know very well that it could be useful for people to understand how this landscape is, how it's related, and what to do and what not to do within specific areas within this uh, uh, river basin. So here we are. I think everybody. Uh, first thing to say, of course, is that the Yarmouk River Basin is divided between Jordan and Syria, and we're specifically talking about the Jordanian part of the Yarmouk River Basin because none of my colleagues wanted to be shot. So, um, um, we uh, did the Jordanian part of the Yarmouk River Basin, and um, uh, this is the southern part, of course. About a million people live within this area, including Ramtha and Irbid, which are relatively long, large cities uh, uh, within this uh, area. So you start with the simple things, with the uh, different types of landforms that have been previously been described clearly. Uh, you start with mountainous areas, the agricultural plateau, the river, Wadi Shalali River actually here, and then this upland plateau where most of the descriptions we saw this morning uh, regarding Gadara and uh, the areas around it, and of course the uh, lower Yermuk uh, River uh, and its confluence with the Jordan River. So we compile different soil maps and geolo geology maps. These, again, uh, geology is a separate story, of course. Soil is an interaction between climate and uh, geology. So we can overlay that. We can overlay uh, climate. We know very well that the western area has uh, much more rain, so you're reaching 500, 600 millimeters per year, whereas the eastern part, you're talking about maybe 100 to 150 millimeters a year. And uh, this is really one of the very interesting features of the Yermuk River Basin is the fact that there is this uh, very uh, distinct climatic variation within a relatively uh, small area. So we go to the land cover, and the land cover uh, is basically a function of, uh, again, cultural and natural changes and plant types, uh, botany, and uh, to a lesser extent, uh, 
fauna. And so after you overlay all of this with Google Earth and with all the uh, different types of map, we come up with this map that describes the different LDUs. And so you look at it and you say, okay, this brown area, where is it over here? I have to. So this is something that's been called cultivated valley floors and river terraces, which is what I put up on the first slide, or not the first slide, but the first picture. And so that's what that looks like. Uh, clearly, again, it's a function of geology plus tectonics. Uh, just to Then we go to the surrounding area here, which is called the elevated or the eroded plateaus. And that clearly includes the western or the eastern part of uh, Gadara. We saw a lot of that. And uh, Sufyan uh, showed us much better pictures than this for that area. And then, of course, the area to, uh, to the south of Gadara is olive green color, which is uh, called cultivated and ridgeland plateau. And clearly, when you look at these pictures, they uh, do convey this very uh, distinct variation. So this is the uh, Gadara itself, call it. Now it's called uh, <coughs> rangelands. And of course, this is down in Hemme. So clearly something quite different. Uh, this is uh, the agricultural plains to the west of Gadara. And then we will start moving to the east. And this large area called uh, rangeland and rangeland plateaus. And again, these are all very descriptive. And so you can see uh, that just talking about them in descriptive terms kind of diminishes the variation. But at the same time, it's quite important to understand that you have these variations. And then you can start talking about why does this place look like this? Why do you have this type of very low relief, uh, sparse vegetation? Clearly, that's, of course, a function of climate. But you can talk about things like perennial streams, and you can talk about things like karst, and you can talk about things like uplift, and you can talk about things like faulting. All of these things are processes that underlie why we see these variations uh, uh, within these uh, different LDUs. And so uh, when you say, OK, all of these things are functions of natural processes, you can go back and understand what types of hazards that are associated with why you have them. 
and I think that's the point for me why it's important. Am I running out of time? Okay. So I'll uh, run through these clearly. Again, uh, this is a little bit different. This is more agricultural, the fields of Haran. And then you go to the south, you start going into Naima and the areas near uh, Ajloon. And all of these, this is of course a uh, view from Tel Khanasri, many of you know that one, uh, near Hosha. And so we can use all of this information to understand landscapes and to understand why we have them, why people use them, what are the dangers associated with them. Not all of these uh, landscapes have a certain types of um, vulnerabilities when you think about them. And these vulnerabilities may or not, may not have been understood by people in the past. And so when you think about landscape degradation, you can also understand that landscape de degradation is a function of not understand properly exactly what, uh, what these vulnerabilities were. So that's the uh, underlying idea here. So all of this, and the first people are the ones who did the work, and I'm the one making the presentation. So thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much, Nisa, for this very interesting insight into your project. Um, I'm sure there are questions in the audience. Please, uh, here, Ignacio. Thank you very much indeed, Nisa. I think that on the one hand, this is a, a very good opportunity to test this methodology that has been developed in Northern Europe to try and also try to, try to retrieve ancient and fossilized landscapes that they are, I think, that in many cases just guessing and uh, wishful thinking. You know, I have just been uh, one week ago in Bavaria, I have never been there for a Limes conference, and I was expecting to find this Germ uh, uh, Germanic uh, forest uh, that Tacitus used to talk, and then I saw that the landscape was like being in Tuscany. <laughs> and they are trying to retrieve what was the landscape there. Meanwhile, here the landscape is almost untouched, and I think that this is essential before, uh, let's say, the, the, the landscape will be completely overrun by the new development to try to document and to analyze this. And I think that the work you are doing is, is very, very important. The, the question I would like to do is, first of all, if you are trying to make this kind of testing, uh, let's say, in contrasting the results in Western Europe with here, where it's more evident, let's say, the fossilization of landscapes, and also if you are considering uh, also a kind of uh, diachronical analysis, let's say, try to incorporate here all the information of fossilized uh, landscapes that you can identify that can speak of uh, changes in climate and uh, land uses in, in the past, because I think that would be, let's say, for archaeologists and historians, essential, let's say, to try to detect before it will disappear all these traces of changes in the landscape in antiquity that still can be traced. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. I think uh, I, uh, I take that as an invitation for everybody who is interested uh, to, to approach me and say, okay, you know, I, I have something here that looks like a fossilized landscape or something that kind of is uh, evidence of something that was different under different cultural or climatic or 
whatever conditions, and uh, let's take a look and see uh, see that. And I, uh, I'd very much uh, welcome that. There is a question. Thank you. Yeah, very interesting talk indeed. Could you just go back two slides? Because my question was, how are you going to use it? And you answered the question. There we are. Thank you. That's yeah, that's it. Thank you. That answers the question. Thanks. <laughs> yes, we have time for other questions. Um, who and how is this um, information being disseminated? Well, to you guys. Um. <laughs> well, the, um, you've given us um, map distributions of the different regions. If someone wanted to overlay um, those onto an ArcGIS in their own investigations, how would they get hold of yeah, that we data? Yeah, we have a website uh, which, uh, which has all of this uh, data. I actually should have put the website up there, but I can give it to you. But uh, uh, basically, uh, I think anybody who's interested in landscapes, uh, including planners, including archaeologists, including even uh, forestry people and so forth, almost everybody ultimately in some way or another uh, has to deal with landscapes. So um, yeah, we're trying to disseminate it as, as much as possible because again, uh, it's good to have people talking the same language when we cross disciplines. Any further questions? A last one? <laughs> small remark because I remember the, the project you did with uh, quarryscapes yes, uh. and I wouldn't like here to happen the same with quarryscapes that we were waiting to have the quarryscapes of the rest of Jordan and Middle East to be done right. and not only these few areas that were yeah. so interesting uh -huh. but we need let's say to expand this analysis to right. all the areas and the same with this because it's fantastic to have this case study of, of the Yarmouk River but right. I think it's something that you should push the university to incorporate this as a, a PhD studies or a, a, a line of research right. so that new students will continue with this kind of analysis in the other areas because it's a pity that it will be just funded for two or three years. You will be able to do the job only in the Yarmouk River and the rest of the things will be forgotten and when in the future somebody will be doing something, everything had, has gone. I think uh, the issue of uh all these other supporting work packages ultimately uh, are designed to do that. So we have work packages that involve teaching and training and dissemination and capitalization. And so I think uh, maybe GJU won't do it, but the hope is that other people will catch on and it will become a more uh, widespread type of tool that's being used by different types of people. So, um, yeah, I mean, to an extent it would be expense, but somebody who's working in a specific area might say, okay, you know, I'll take my uh, one-week course in, in how to do this. And uh, now we're offering this type of training where people can learn how to do it. So. Uh, the hope is it's not just one party that's doing this, but it becomes a more widely used tool. That's the ambition, at least. <laughs>